the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. It is time once again for the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. We're looking forward to speaking with you for the next hour about arriving at financial independence later in life. Invest your money. It's great to save it. It's better to invest it and grow it. That's what they specialize in at Aptus. They're located in Lewis Center off Route 750. Very easy to get to from the 23270 interchange. They do have a lot of clients outside the area. That's one of the miracles of Zoom that we became aware of during the pandemic. And you can set up a free no-obligation consultation with Josh and the Aptus team by calling their office and making your appointment. Their number is 614-917-1040, or you can make your appointment online. Their web address is aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And we start today, Josh, like we typically do with current events of the past week, And as I pour over the jobs numbers and the unemployment rate and the wage growth and the economist projections, I just keep wondering, like, how long will we have so many conflicting opinions of what these numbers mean? The the numbers are always said to be good, although they could be better or they have some kind of a hidden meaning. And it just strikes me that we certainly have enough stuff in the background and enough different economic cycles that we've been through that it feels a little odd to me that we can't have more of a consensus on what's going to happen based upon these numbers. Yeah, even as we were talking offline before the show today, we were saying, hey, let's compare our jobs numbers. And we found five different surveys with five yeah, different numbers. Yeah. And, and the difference was like one number was 200,000 jobs added and another number was a half a million jobs added. That's a big difference. Well, and one of them said the the greatest increase in jobs uh, in the last nine months or something yeah. like that. It was great news and it points to the direction that maybe the Fed won't have to do what we think they have to do. And then the other one says, oh, they're terrible. Yeah. So what do we do? And I think this this clouds the judgment of investors because they look at this job data as if somehow that is a direct correlation to how their investments are going to perform. If job data is bad, that means the economy must be bad, which in turn means the stocks that I own must be bad. And those aren't correlated necessarily at all. I mean, of course, it's important that we're adding jobs. But you and I were even talking about how there's there's these other stats that you've got to throw into the mix. And how do those apply? Like, for example, I didn't even know this was a thing. There's something called the quits rate. And that's the rate at which people quit their job before they have another one lined up. And as of May, it rose by the most in nine months, meaning that people still seem so confident in the job market that they're willing to quit a job before they even have another one lined up because they believe it's just that easy. 
Yeah, that's strange. I mean, uh, and I know people who work across a spectrum of industries. Some of them would require an advanced degree. Some of them would just require a high school diploma and a willingness to show up on time every day. It does appear like everybody is hiring. That, I would think, would mean that the economy is really rolling, yet uh, every time you hear uh, conservative pundits talk about the economy they talk about a very very low growth rate and how the economy hasn't roared back like they thought it would after the pandemic of course president biden now is ramping up his re-election campaign no surprise he's trying to take the numbers that uh, are out there and portray them as being flattering of that kind of a robust economy so it does appear that everybody's hiring and then we have this debate about our wages going up or our wages going down and I just kind of wonder, like, when I see the jobs report, does that mean, like, full-time jobs, one job, provide for your family or pay all your bills? Or is every single job included in there? Or do we even know? The simple fact of the matter is they can give us the statistics on what they're doing as far as that job reports goes. And, the you know, the Labor uh, Department obviously gives us that. But on all these other statistics or all these other surveys, they don't really tell you, do they? They, they no. just say that these just are the say reports. Jobs. And I think here's an underlying problem that I see coming down the, the pike is that, you know, the economies or the jobs market of the economy is not always going to be this good. And sometimes when things are really good, we get kind of lazy and we do some really poor things. For example, uh, I have plenty of friends who are in hiring type positions in many companies, myself included. Shameless mm-hmm. plug, we're hiring right now. Uh, we're looking for an admin. So if you're interested and you have that kind of background, call our office. Yeah. But the amount of people who will call, get an interview, say they're going to show up for an interview, and then just not show up. There's even a term for it. It's just called ghosting. Apparently, that's just now what we do. We just <laughs> we just don't show up. I've had friends offer people positions. They accept it and then just don't show up for the first day of work. No information passed on whatsoever. We just don't know why they didn't show up. Now, why is why am I even bringing that up? Because eventually, this job market will change. And when it does, I wonder how bad that type of behavior is going to start to hurt some people. Yeah, uh, we formed a lot of bad habits uh, during the pandemic. That was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. We formed a bad habit of uh, people not wanting to go to work, go into the office. I think going into the office and doing your job in the office with your colleagues is healthy for a business, is healthy for camaraderie, but we've kind of done away with that. Everybody wants to work now from home. They want to work remotely. But like we've talked about here with the headlines where there's a good headline and a bad headline, a good projection and a bad projection. That's also made people more marketable. Now, a lot of companies are comfortable hiring people from locations, not even in the same state where their business is located. So I guess what I see is like, while it's hard, hard to get clarity on where the economy is headed, there are some good things that resulted from the pandemic, but there are very definitely some bad things that resulted from the pandemic. I keep waiting for the commercial real estate market to crash. And a lot of people have long-term investments in commercial real estate. That's one of those areas where, and we're not trying to, you know, tell people, you know, what exactly to invest in because everybody's situation is different. But uh, there are contrarian investors out there who make a habit of doing what seems to go against the grain of what everyone else is doing. So it just sort of adds to me to this kind of collective uncertainty about what's the right sector to be in. And that certainly uh, raises the difficulty level for someone in your business because you're trying to put people's money into investment vehicles where the money will grow. 
where it will not be subjected to more volatility than your client wants, and there's no shortage of options in that regard. You know, I think you said at the beginning of the show, there's, you know, savings is great, investing is better. Well, there's two types of investing. There's investing for cash flow or return on your money to live off of, income generation, very important when you're retired. And then the other way to invest is kind of hypothesizing on where the market is going. And that can apply to, let's use real estate, for example. You can make a tremendous amount of money in real estate Mm -hmm. on a piece of property that doesn't even go up. If you're getting huge cash flows off of that property from renters, then it doesn't matter. Um, Think of a trailer park, for example. Trailers don't appreciate, or at least not to my knowledge, Mm -hmm. very, very commonly. Nope. But that does not mean that you can't own, you can't make a tremendous amount of money owning a trailer park. Well, similarly, when it comes to investing, uh, you know, you can go after growth stocks that don't reward you for holding them along the way. You're just hypothesizing that today the shares are 10 bucks, and in 10 years, I think they're going to be 50 bucks, and I'm willing to put all my chips on red. And I'm not suggesting that either way is better than the other, but what I am suggesting is you probably need some of each. And in certain economies, certain ones are more predictable than others. And I find that, let's use real estate as an example again, particularly with young investors, uh, you know, how do you ignore the fact that houses have gone up by astronomical rates since COVID? Well, if you don't have any basis of understanding on the way that long-term investing works, you might look at that and just go, well, housing's hot. I want to be the next, you know, super investor in real estate. And there's no shortage of TikTok videos telling you (laughs) that that's what you should do. You might hop in, but for us that maybe are a little bit grayer, We've seen times throughout our lives where that wasn't the best idea. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the real estate numbers, to me, seem to be uh, very much driven by where the real estate is. Nationally, I keep hearing about how housing prices are going down. That's certainly not the case here in central Ohio. Housing prices are going up, and yet uh, the cost of buying a house now is considerably more than it used to be, not just because the homes have appreciated, but because with all those Fed interest rate hikes, the interest rate that you're paying on your home has gone up. I was talking to a young couple this week in one of the other uh, endeavors that I'm involved in, and they were talking about buying their house four or five years ago. Now they've added some children. They are maybe interested in getting a little bit more space to live in. But the fact that the interest rates for a home mortgage loan, 6.71% last week, they can, it's, it sounds weird, they can afford the home, they can't afford the payment. I mean, it kind of they they kind of feel like you know we should be able to afford an extra bedroom an extra bathroom but the reason we can't afford it is more related to what the mortgage payment is per month than what the cost of the home is. Yeah, and when situations like this arise, it's important to remember that the you know going to the bank and getting a loan in the form of a mortgage is not the only way to finance that home. Um, there are a myriad of ways that you can finance a home. And one of the easiest ones, which has been gaining a lot of traction here as of late, if you have a federal loan, so think of like the FHA loans, and that's you know a bazillion mm-hmm. of them out there, and you want to buy that home, most of those mortgages are assumable. So what does that mean? You have a house that you bought for $500,000, and now it's worth $700,000, and I want to buy your house, but rates have doubled. Well, maybe if you have a mortgage that's $450,000, I might be able to assume your 3% loan if mm. I can qualify. Now, that does have some hiccups involved in it. Clearly, I'm paying $700,000 for the house, and if I'm only getting a $450,000 loan, i got to figure out where I'm going to come up with the other $350,000. But um, there's a myriad of ways to finance homes that are beyond just calling the bank and saying, what are your current interest rates on a 30-year fixed? And I think in times like these... Uh, 
you know, you buy the home, you rent the rate. So we got to figure out a way to rent the rate at uh, the lowest rate possible and be nimble enough to take advantage of changes when they come down the pipe. Yeah, and that underscores the importance of having a fiduciary, someone who's legally obligated to do what's best for you, helping you build wealth later on in life when you retire, when you want to reach financial independence, however you want to look at it. That's their specialty at Aptus Wealth Management. Their number at the office to set up your free no-obligation consultation is 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment online. Their web address is aptuswealth.com. A-P-T-U-S is how you spell Aptus, aptuswealth.com. Their office is located just off Route 750 in Lewis Center. Very easy to get to. Uh, You're dealing with clients of all different age groups. It would be awesome if uh, everybody who... uh, maybe in their late 20s and had started to set some money aside. Maybe they have a company sponsored 401k or something like that comes in with you and they get a blueprint and they follow that blueprint and work it. There's a story here from MoneyWise that says the stock market has always been a go-to place to go. And we've talked about the dependability of the stock market over time. Sure, there might be lulls, but if you leave it in there and you're in a fund that's pretty representative, the S&P 500, you're going to do well. Surprising or not surprisingly, Young people uh, want to reinvent the wheel when it comes to investing. And according to MoneyWise, uh, they're losing faith in the stock market and they're looking for other investment vehicles. Should they lose faith in the stock market or are we just in a period of time here where the volatility is uh, present and hard to predict? And uh, maybe they are turning away from what has proven to be a good strategy down through the decades. Let's not forget what you're turning away from. By turning away from the stock market, you are saying, I am turning away from the virility of the U.S. economy in in its entirety. Mm -hmm. It's really what you're saying. Yeah. Now, it's no shock to me. There's always people who are turning their back to the stock market. That's been happening for, you know, 100 years. Um, But I think what they're turning to is maybe the bigger question. And while I don't know the article you're reading from, my bet would be because it's hot, they're probably turning to things like real estate, NFTs, things that are a little bit you know, new wave, yep. sexier, edgier. right? Edgier. Yeah, you're, you're right on. I mean, here's two of their options. Millennials are not only collecting art, they're among the assets, top investors. And then uh, also they're investing in wine. So they're investing in things that I wouldn't invest in because I don't really understand either aspect of it. But you're right. Real estate, wine and art are uh, hotter, you know, uh, options, I guess, for that age bracket than the S&P 500. And it's not shocking because if you hop on Instagram Reels or TikTok, the number one prevailing things that you'll see in there is people talking about how to get rich in real estate, mm. NFTs, art, wine, all these fringe type of elements. And I'm not suggesting that you can't, but what I am suggesting is a lot of that is unregulated, number one, which is always a problem. And number two, leaning back on some of the advice that we have to heed and listen to, which is somebody with a lot more gray hair than us, is is Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. And Warren Buffett says about things like Bitcoin and art, what do you do with it to live on it? At some point, you're going to have to sell the artwork yeah. and hopefully sell it at a profit. And then what? What do you, what do you do? What do you, what are you living on? Right. At some, it, this all comes back to what is the purpose of the investment? If the purpose of the investment is to be able to run around and say, I own a piece of a Picasso and it's going to go from, 50 million to 75 million, and I own 0.002% of that, which means, you know, I gained uh, 50% rate of return and look at my net worth statement, then by all means, go prospect in the art world. 
if your reason for saving is I am currently working in a job that at some point I would like to not have to work in anymore, mm -hmm. and I'd like to be financially independent. That financial independence must be met with an income stream that you can live off of that has replaced what you used to work for. And I don't see how buying, uh, you know, an online figurine that plays in a video game is going to generate you the money to do that. And I don't see how buying artwork or wine is going to do that unless you decided that you're going to get in the buying and selling of wine business. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, I would tend to stick more with something A, I understand, and B, that has proven successful over time. Let's deal with what is more of the common kind of approach to investing. You get out of school, uh, you get a job, uh, hopefully you have a good company you're working for, you invest money on a weekly basis into uh, a 401k, uh, you eventually get to retirement. Uh, what should you do with your money in that situation? Like you just draw out a monthly amount? Should you leave it in as a 401k? Should you convert it to something? What What are the pros and cons of that decision at that point in your life? Yeah, oftentimes you can leave it directly in your 401k if you want, and then you can just take a percentage out every single month or year off of that amount. Now, we've talked in previous shows about a lot of the hiccups that can be involved or the risks that you take with just simply withdrawing a flat percentage proportionally from all your investments, meaning you might have stock investments, bond investments, cash investments, international, domestic, et cetera. And if you just say, send me 5%, most 401k companies are just going to take a proportional reduction from all the funds that you have. And that can be a very dangerous proposition. But even before retirement, we've just got ta done talking about how transient people are in their work uh, careers these days. And that means that you have a decision to make even before that. And then I've left my employer. I have a 401k. Should I leave it there? Should I transfer it to my new 401k, which is an option typically? Or should I roll that over to an IRA? And the two most common things that people do is leave the money in their 401k or transfer all of their old 401ks into their new one every time they leave, or they roll it into a consolidated IRA. And for most purposes, that's six of one half dozen of the other. Uh, the argument for the 401k in general typically is, well, my fees are really low. I know that there's a fiduciary responsibility from my company and from the government to make sure that they're not putting any kind of hodgepodge nonsense inside of that 401k. Um, but that isn't always the case. There's oftentimes significant expenses inside of 401ks, and there's oftentimes very limited options inside of your 401k. So while they're quote unquote protecting you, they're also giving you very few options to choose from. An IRA on the other hand can be very inexpensive or very expensive. Now the onus is kind of on you to decide what is a good option for me, or hopefully you're working with somebody like Aptus Wealth, you know, and you're with a fiduciary and they're guiding mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. But there's a bunch of other new, now you, you know, the world's your oyster. You can invest in whatever you want. But there's some very finite nuances to 401ks versus IRAs that a lot of people don't think of. And once you start getting deep into those weeds, then it really helps to have somebody that's in the weeds all the time. Let me give you an example. Let's say you retire early, which I hope everybody does. Sure. They retired 55. If that's what you want to do, yeah. great. Voluntarily, yes. <laughs> If you retire at 55 and you want to take money out of your 401k, it's no problem. If you retire at 55 and want to take money out of your IRA, unless you structure it correctly, you're going to get hit with a 10% penalty because you're not 59 and a half first. Mm. So it might make sense to roll over some of your 401k and keep some of it in the 401k if you retire early. Other things that people don't think of. Uh, creditor protection. Money inside of a company-sponsored plan is protected against creditors at the federal level. As soon as it goes to an IRA, it's protected at the state level. 
Now you'd say, well, what difference does that make if it's protected the better of the state? Well, not all states are the same. So if you're in Ohio, you're fine. If you're in other states, that might mean that now that asset became sticky and it can go directly to your creditor. And the list of these types of things just goes on and on and on. And it can be overwhelming. And the decision is, what should I do? Well, it depends on your situation. Yeah, well, it depends uh, on getting, A, good advice, having good information, and knowing exactly what the pitfalls are or knowing what the benefits are. And that's certainly as something that uh, we feel, my wife and I feel, that we have gained by going with Aptus. We don't get surprised by things. We're not at retirement age yet, but we're getting there. I've said before that we're at a place where we can't afford to make a mistake because there might not be time to come back from that mistake. And when we sat down with Josh and the team and we saw how we could work a plan and where we could arrive, it made sense to us. So if you would like to have the same conversation, like to determine whether you're a fit with Aptus and they're a fit with you, take advantage of that free no-obligation consultation. Go into their office off Route 750 in Lewis Center. Set that appointment up by calling 614-917-1040 or by going to aptuswealth.com, aptus, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. I have been struck, as we have chatted here on the show and when we met in your office, by what seems to be a 50-50 decision on what kind of difference it can make in terms of the end result. That's true of taking like sequence of returns. That's true of either opting for a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. I mean, uh, it's not that one is always the right decision and one is always the wrong decision. It is greatly impacted by where you are in your life and maybe, I don't know, what, what kind of uh, amount of money we're talking about or what the regulations in the states and federally are at that particular time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, let's just use the example of a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA. We all kind of at least know that Roth IRAs are better than traditional IRAs yeah. when you go to collect from them. Maybe not when you're putting money in them, because when you put money in a traditional IRA, you actually get tax benefits today. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you put it in a Roth IRA, you get great tax benefits down the line. And, you know, if there's one thing I know about most people, it's I'd rather have the benefit today because who knows what down the line looks like. Yeah. So by and large in the United States, most people have their money in traditional 401ks, traditional IRAs and not Roths. Well, that might not be a big issue. If you only have $50,000 in your traditional IRA and you're going to live on Social Security and your IRA combined – well, then you're probably in an incredibly low tax bracket anyway. Matter of fact, you might not be paying any tax on your withdrawals. So even though everybody says, oh, you don't want your money in an IRA because you're going to have to pay taxes on it, you might have to pay taxes on it. It goes into your taxable income on your tax return. But every man, woman, child that files a tax return has a standard deduction. So if your standard deduction is in excess of what you're withdrawing from your taxable account, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. However, if you're living on $300,000 a year, well, now I assure you that it's going to be taxed. And boy, wouldn't you rather have that in a Roth? I think the biggest scenario or the biggest uh, example of that that I've seen is there was a gentleman that somehow out of California in Silicon Valley figured out a way to move the shares of his startup company stock once it went public into a Roth IRA. And now he's got like $2 billion inside of a Roth IRA that will never pay taxes on. I think he's tussling with the IRS right now, but that's kind of the... The Bobby Bonilla example yeah. wow. of of, uh, of the Roth IRA. That's pretty smart. I mean, honestly, like I'll take people behind the curtain. Um, my wife is putting some money into an IRA, and she told me, you know, she wanted it in a traditional IRA, and I'm like, no, you want it in a Roth IRA because of the tax. She's like, no, I want the tax benefits now. So that, you know, that's like right in my own household that I assumed the Roth IRA is better 
down the road, you know, but she was like, no, I want the tax benefits now. And she's a CPA. So she pays our taxes, does our taxes. So she would understand the benefits of doing that now, as opposed to doing what conventionally I would have thought would have been better. And absolutely, you know, I agreed with her on that. But, you know, here's another perfect example. And I'll let you behind the curtain again. One of the questions was, well, should we put it in my SEP IRA or my traditional IRA? Uh, And the answer is it makes no difference because until 25% of your income, because in a a SEP, you can save up to 25% of your income all the way up into a whole boatload of money, Mm -hmm. you know, 60 some thousand bucks. With a traditional IRA, you can save 100% of your income, but only up to $6,500. So until you exceed $6,500, it really doesn't matter. So we were kind of going back and forth. She said, well, you know, I want to do the SEP. And I said, it doesn't matter. We can do whatever you want. Uh, So there's a lot of nuance, a lot of change, a lot of different things you can do. You just need to know the nuance. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. Yeah, it can be. That's why it just, to me, makes so much sense to have someone who traffics in these matters every single day. They're not going to make that big mistake. Oh, I thought, well, that's not easy to correct on the back end. You're going to pay the penalty for that. So get with Aptus. Have that free consultation. There's no obligation. It's a very pleasant experience. You'll come out of it more educated and gain, I would think, the same peace of mind that my wife and I did. We are Aptus clients. I'd highly recommend you have that conversation. Set it up via the phone, 614-917-1040 to make your appointment or at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Bruce Hooley, Josh Pick with you, and you can sit with the Aptus team for a no-obligation free consultation. Talk about arriving at financial independence later in life by investing your money wisely. They are legally obligated to do what's best for you at Aptus. That's a fiduciary responsibility between you, the client, and Josh and his team. Set up your consultation by making your appointment online. AptusWealth.com's website is AptusWealth.com, A-P-T-U-S. Their phone number at the office just off Route 750 is 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. And as we talk about the uh, Aptus Retirement Blueprint, Josh, we often talk about getting uh, a saving and investing uh, mindset ingrained. And sometimes that involves looking at your expenses and finding money. Maybe maybe you're not getting a raise. Maybe you don't get an inheritance. You haven't won the lottery. You've got to find money in your budget. Well, uh, the citizens of the state of Ohio this week uh, gained some of that found money. Uh, Now the law in the state of Ohio is that everyone, regardless of income level, is eligible for some kind of scholarship from the state for their student in grades K through 12. It varies by income levels, but it's not an insignificant amount of money. It can be as much as $8,000 a year for someone who has a high school student. Uh, That's multiplied by the number of high school students you have if your income level falls below the allowable limits, and the limits are pretty generous, 450% of the poverty line, which if you're a family of five, that would be around $175,000 a year in income. So let's say a family has had kids in private school, or they've been homeschooling, they've been footing that bill themselves, now suddenly there is that found money. Because, for instance, if you had two kids in a private school that charged $10,000 a year in tuition, you were paying $20,000 a year last year. This year you might be paying around $4,000 and have $16,000 of it paid by the state. If you budget that money into your budget in 2022, hey, look, there's money that we can invest. Yeah, not only can you invest it, if we're talking about the age bracket where you have kids in school, 
when you invest that, you still have a pretty darn long runway. Yes, you do. To let that compound. So hopefully, my hope would be that people do the prudent thing. And you know, I, I get it. Some people have been far overextended mm-hmm. trying to put their kids in private schools because of a myriad of reasons that I'm sure you talk about on your show. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm very thankful that they get the opportunity. I certainly don't understand all the mechanics behind, you know, what this will do to public schools versus private. But I'm always a very choice uh, oriented type of person. So um, hopefully with that newfound choice and newfound money, people will do the prudent thing and dump that back into future goals and not just go out and buy a brand new flat screen TV with it. But. Uh, I would say if we learned anything from the COVID checks, uh, the vast majority of people did not have the discipline to do the right thing. Yeah, and I'm not uh, an extreme authority on this, but I do know that the scholarships are administered by applying to the schools. So if you have had a child in a private school, start with your school. That's where to go. If you want to obtain a scholarship and uh, you haven't been sending your kid to a private school, you have to get them enrolled, first of all. I'm not sure how this works for homeschool families, but I believe that it does apply to homeschool families. And as I said, it applies on a sliding scale regardless of income. So you could make $9, $10 million a year and get, I think it's $800 from the state. I don't know how that works with a child who is in a public school. You like the public school, but you could, I think, apply for the scholarship and use it for supplemental instruction. Maybe you could invest that for a college fund or something like that as we talk about investing here on the show, we typically gear it toward thinking about retirement. And that calls to mind all kinds of things like, you know, I want to play golf every day or I want to travel or I want to do whatever. But uh, how much of what you do is uh, done with uh, a goal of financing a child's education when they get to the point where they graduate high school? Is that something that you guys uh, offer advice and counsel on? Uh, well, I'd be lying to you if I said that the bulk of our clients aren't past that point. Okay. Um, so, you know, the last time I ran statistics on our client base, I think it was 96 or 97% of our clients are over the age of 55. Okay. So when you get into that pool, obviously it's, it's more and more rare, but that does not mean myself included. Uh, I have three boys mm-hmm. uh, and my oldest will be entering his senior year in high school. So we're, we're doing the college tours and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I'm certainly well uh, adept to understanding the mechanics behind that process and certainly uh, well adept to understanding the sheer cost mm. of what college can entail if you have a, a child that wants to go there. So uh, what I typically encounter is how do I uh, get put money in some sort of fund for my grandchildren, which is very, very similar to mm-hmm. what parents can do uh, for their own children. So, yes, we cover those conversations quite frequently. Set up your consultation with Josh and the Aptus team. 614-917 is their office number. Their web address is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Josh joins me every Monday on the Bruce Hooley Show at 1235 p.m. for Money Monday, where we talk about the latest events and assess the markets where they are. Have that conversation with Josh and the team in person in their office off Route 750 in Lewis Center. No obligation for that meeting. You'll get smarter. You'll gain, I think, a lot of insight into uh, what they're about. And uh, it's how my wife and I became clients at Aptus Wealth Management. When you sit down and you have a conversation with a prospective client uh, and then you proceed to them deciding to become a client, part of that process is they tell you where their various retirement savings accounts are. And we have chatted before about we're in a much different era now 
It used to be very common that you'd work for a company, you'd have a pension, you'd combine whatever your pension was with whatever your Social Security was. Pretty simple. Now, I would assume it's not uncommon at all for you to meet with clients who have a lot of different jobs, a lot of different accounts, and I don't know, do uh, people always have a pretty good handle on how many accounts they have out there? We see these we see these things in the newspaper from time to time of unclaimed funds. Is there such a thing as people not knowing where all their retirement savings are? And in that situation, how do you help them track down what might be the epitome of found money? Yeah, it's such an issue that part of the SECURE Act was the Fed establishing a website of essentially orphaned money from old retirement accounts. Now, I wouldn't hold your breath. It's the Fed. It's going to take them a while <laughs> to come up with this. But yeah, it's very, very common. You know, very few people now are putting in their 40 years and getting the gold watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're hopping every couple of years. You know, in the last segment, we talked about how people are quitting their jobs at an alarming rate without even having another job because the job market has been so strong. So, and, and oftentimes when you do that, you think, well, I was only there for three months. I put money in the 401k. It's probably 800 bucks. I'll, I'll remember it when I get there. Now, fast forward 40 years later. And that eight hundred bucks is now ten grand, mm. and you forgot about it. That's a terrible thing to forget about. Yes, it is. Which, you know, we had talked earlier about: should I put my money in a rollover IRA when I leave a job, or should I transfer it to a four hundred one k? And the answer to that question is particular to your scenario. However, I can tell you one thing: you should definitely not do, and that's do nothing. Mm-hmm. You should do something. So either start to aggregate those accounts by moving your 401k from a company one to new company or roll them into a consolidated IRA. So as you do this job hopping, you just keep on consolidating everything because you will, it will become overwhelming and answer your question. Does it oftentimes happen? I can't count. I, there's no way I could begin to fathom or count how many times I have people come in and go, you're not going to believe this, but uh, completely didn't know this. Didn't, didn't remember it, whatever the reason is. Here's 50 grand that I didn't even know I had out there that I just randomly got a statement. Uh, and thank God I did. Yeah. Right? But that's going to become more and more difficult as everything's online and you don't get the statement in the mail. True. Very true. So uh, you mentioned that it would be a mistake to just leave it at the job where you're exiting to a, to go to a new job. Aren't there some pretty serious mistakes that you could make uh, tax consequence wise or whatever in how you move money? Like, I don't know, is it as simple as don't make them or don't let them send the check to you, but let them wire it to someone else? What are some things that people need to be aware of if they're in that situation where they're changing jobs? They have a three, four, five-year retirement nest egg. They want to move it, but there are some pretty uh, big mistakes, I would think, that you could make in how it's moved. Absolutely. Not only can you get hit with the tax bill for the money that you've been deferring taxes on, but you can get hit with a 10% penalty on top of that. So you start adding up these numbers and you go, well, I, I screwed up the paperwork essentially. And I had to pay 30, 40% in taxes of the money that I received. What you want to have happen is you want to have the check for the 401k, 403b, what at 457, whatever retirement plan you have, if you're rolling it to a 401k or you're rolling it to your, uh, to an IRA, it doesn't matter. You want the check made payable to the institution where it's going for the benefit of you, or FBO, your name. Now, that does not mean that it has to go directly to the institution. That's a common misconception is I got to have the check directly mailed from Fidelity to Schwab. Gotcha. You don't. 
what you need to do is you need to have Fidelity cut a check to Schwab for the benefit of Bruce Hooley. Then they can mail it wherever the heck they want. It doesn't matter. They can mail it to you and mail it directly. Okay. If the, you screw that up, it used to be that you could have as many redos as you wanted. So they make the check payable to Bruce Hooley, and you turn around and just deposit it in Schwab. You get a 1099 at the end of the year. You reconcile them and say, oh, it went from point A to point B within 60 days, and I'm good. Back in the late, I believe it was the late teens, so I think it was 2015, 2017, somewhere around there, um, they limit, the IRS now limits you to one of those oopsies a year. So you have to be much more cautious now than you did before. But if you do get that check in the mail made payable to you, don't say it's all for naught. You have 60 days to scramble and fix the problem, but don't wait. Get on it. Aptus Wealth, located in Lewis Center, ready to uh, take your call, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com, their website. Either place you can go to set up your free consultation, meet with the Aptus team, talk about volatility, risk, their approach to investing, your approach to investing. Find out if you're a fit for them and they're a fit for you. 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And we've talked about a bunch of different investment vehicles here, and it strikes me that... um, a lot of people used to uh, view a life insurance policy as a vehicle for, you know, retirement or for something in the case of losing a spouse. I would imagine there are a lot of different options in regard to how you maybe structure your beneficiary or uh, I would just think that that's a that's a way that you have decisions to make. Um, and those decisions also could have some long term ramifications. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a couple of scenarios. One where life insurance is so rigid where it can go sideways on you. And the other, and what is the true value of life insurance? Because I think it gets, there's so many different variables that go into a life insurance policy that there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Um, one, life insurance at its core falls under the the concept of protection. So it gets special tax, tax treatment from the IRS. If you die holding a life insurance policy and your beneficiary is your spouse, your kids, it doesn't, your neighbor, it doesn't matter, that death benefit is completely tax-free to you. Hmm. To my knowledge, other than a Roth IRA, I can't think of too many things that are completely tax-free no matter what. There's usually some caveat, like, well, it depends on step-up basis rules or the state you live in, but federally, life insurance proceeds tax-exempt. Now, the other thing that life insurance does is it has a tremendous amount of rigidity and that once you assign your beneficiary, it bypasses probate and there's no argument about it. So if I make, if I'm married with 12 kids and I make you my beneficiary, my wife and kids have no argument to come back to the life insurance company and say, well, no, 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 that's not what Josh really thought. No, I made you the beneficiary. You're the beneficiary. Conversation over. Wow. Okay. Now, where that can become a problem is a lot of people have company-sponsored plans, meaning you work for Ohio State and they automatically give you X life insurance. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't really pay attention to that because they don't pay for it. It's just incumbent in the job. And divorce, we know the rates are pretty high. Very high, yeah. So I had a scenario with a client that came, not a client, a, a, a potential new client came in and she was trying to get me to help her unravel the fact that her husband and their three children, their combined three children, uh, left the beneficiary as his ex-wife, whom he had no children with and was married to for a very short period of time, very early on in his career. We're talking about a spouse from 20-plus years ago. Okay. It was a million-dollar life insurance policy. Oh. So now she has to call his – well, figure out how to call yeah. this woman and see if – 
she'll maybe do the right thing or won't do the right thing right, or what right, happens. Right. So you got to be very cautious about it. But life insurance is is really used for two things. One is protection. The other thing can be, if you want to use it for this, cash accumulation. Now, when would you use either one? Term life insurance is purely protection. You're renting insurance. So I have three kids. I want to make sure that something happens to me while they're underneath my household. My wife has the financial resources to help raise these kids. I only need that for maybe 20 years. I get a 20-year term policy. I pay the premium at the end of 20 years. I don't pay the premium anymore, and I no longer have insurance. That is by far the least expensive way to buy insurance. To give you an example on how inexpensive, I mean, think of less than a dollar a day probably buys you enough protection to cover your family Mm -hmm. if you're young. The other way to use life insurance, though, uh, and this can be term or, or that cash value life insurance, which cash value simply builds cash value inside of the life insurance policy that you could use at a later date. So think of it as a combination between almost like a Roth IRA because there's tax benefits in withdrawing the money and the life insurance that you intend to keep for the rest of your life. So this is kind of life insurance forever, far more expensive. But regardless of which way you decide to use life insurance, one of the ways that actually came up today was I had a couple of clients, husband and wife, both had pensions, and they were left with that choice of how do I take my pension? I know they're telling me if I get a single life, it's X dollars per month if I want it. But if I die, then nobody gets anything. Well, that seems awful because what if I get hit by a train tomorrow morning and then I lose and the company wins? It's like going to a buffet and only having a cracker. It doesn't make any sense. No. Um, On the flip side, I have this other option where I can get a single life but a 10-year certain, which means, well, if I die, then somebody gets that payout for 10 years. Or maybe I do a joint life, which means if I die, my wife gets the money for the rest of my life no matter how long she lives. But then there's a problem even there, because what if my wife predeceases me and then I die now still nobody gets anything? It covered me for the rest of my life, but I I got less because I took this joint payout. You get less money. So there's this old concept called pension maximization. And it's this is, I mean, a hundred year old concept. This is nothing new. But what it means is I look at my single life payout, which is the highest rate I could possibly receive on that list. And I say, well, that's five hundred dollars a month more or whatever the number is than taking a joint payout. Well, if I went and took, let's say not 500 but I take $300 a month, that means I'm better off than the joint payout. How much life insurance could I get? And then it doesn't matter if my wife predeceases me or I die first or if we both die at the same time holding hands. Somebody's still going to get this life insurance policy, and that's exactly what unfortunately happened today. I had a client come into my office, um, and unfortunately his wife lost a, a hard fight with cancer. And fortunately we had set that up back in 2012. They were paying about $100 a month for a term insurance policy that they had taken out in 2012. They were living on, it was a small pension, but living on hundreds of dollars more a month than the joint payout they would have received if they elected that directly from their company. And now he is comforted knowing that because he would be cash-strapped losing that pension payment, but he's getting a tax-free check for $250,000. Now, the piece that I leave out is this is somebody who's in their 70s. So... 250000 the difference, by the way, between the joint life and the single life was $500 a month. It was only like a $1,000 a month pension. Well, if you're in your early 70s, $1,000 a month is $12,000 a year. $250,000 is a lot of $12,000 yes, a year. Yes, it is. Right? So they're better off by doing that. So there's a myriad of ways you can use life insurance, and there's a myriad of ways you can collect your pension. There's a myriad of ways you can collect your Social Security. You just need to know the nuances and understand how it all fits the overall picture. So that's a 
easy to understand explanation. That's one of the things that I found really um, that I bonded with when I went into Aptus was that Josh has a way of explaining things so that I can understand it. I'm not comfortable personally. Maybe you are, but I'm not comfortable personally investing in something I don't understand. Uh, that's part of the peace of mind that my wife and I gained when we became Aptus clients. And you can sit and make that evaluation for yourself. Go in for your free consultation, 614-917-1040. Or you can make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Uh, what kind of uh, client or when does life insurance make sense as you assess investments for everybody? You're looking at a range of clients across, across not just age levels, but income levels and things like that. So what is the, a, a good profile of someone for whom a life insurance tinged investment vehicle makes sense? Yeah, there's a bunch of different concepts of life insurance that we have to take a look at, and I'll try and consolidate this down as best I can. But anybody who has children and is in their 30s and 40s probably needs life insurance because your asset size, meaning your amount of total investments that you have, is probably not substantial enough at age 35 to cover your spouse raising children on their own for the duration that they're going to need to raise it. So you probably need term insurance in that category. Just get us over the hump. Give us enough yep. insurance for a short period of time. Um, the other person that that definitely needs life insurance is somebody that has an estate tax issue. They probably need trust in life insurance because now we're talking about the ultra wealthy. But there is this middle ground. And the middle ground is somebody who has a high income, who's healthy and young. And by young, I don't mean 20. I mean, you know, that's not 80. Um, healthy so that they can get a low-cost life insurance policy, meaning that they get a good rating because there's different ratings. If you have, you know, if you've had 12 heart attacks and you drink 12 beers every night, you're not going to get a very good rating on life insurance and you also smoke a pack a day, right? But if you're reasonably healthy, it really doesn't matter if you're 50, 60 or 40, you can get a preferred rating with a life insurance policy. If you're already maxing out your 401k or you're contributing significantly to your 401k, maybe you don't qualify for a Roth IRA and you're looking for a vehicle that can generate tax-free income down the line for you. There is no better vehicle for generating that than a life insurance policy. And unfortunately, like we've talked about annuities in the past in this show, not all life insurance policies are created equal. So if you've looked at these in the past and said, well, it sounded like a good idea until there are fiduciary life insurance policies out there, that means there's no commission attached to them. There are such a wide ranging of life insurance policies. I have one. All right. So if I have one, clearly I believe in it, yes. and I put a lot of money every year into it, but there is no better vehicle where if, I, if I'm if i saving, let's say, $20,000 a year, and I have a half-million-dollar death benefit, and I die tomorrow, well, I could have put the $20,000 into a mutual fund, and if I died, my wife gets $20,000. This scenario, she gets a half-million dollars. Well, that's better. Okay, cool. If I put $20,000 in every single year, at some point, I'm going to want to live off of that money, which will be taxed. So I need to do a comparison and say, well... Which one actually gives me more tax after tax income? And in my scenario, the life insurance policy was a very, very efficient way to do that. Now, we'd have to have a 30-minute conversation just on why, but just know that the shy of the Roth IRA, there is no better line in the tax code than cash accumulation life insurance. And I assume when people are making a decision on amount of life insurance and your your uh, your, uh, your payment, uh, your why can't I think of the word? Whatever premium. Premium. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, that you pay every month is going to be predicated upon what the total amount is. Are people taking into account things like what their annual, like if you're a primary breadwinner in a family, your prime, your annual income every year, 
uh, maybe what you owe on your house. Are there some other things that should be factored into for people who are coming up with the total number they're trying to get to protect them against that kind of catastrophic event? Yeah, there's definitely a logical way to calculate how much you need. And there's a bunch of different methodologies that, of course, like everything in our industry, you got to coin a phrase and mm. say that it's the new rule or something like that. But ultimately, you know, you want to make sure that whatever it is that it requires for your household to go around, plus the fact that now there's not two parents raising a child is only one, which has some issues uh, right. and potential extra child care involvement. Yeah. Um, you have college down the pipe. You have a mortgage that you have to pay for. You have a lot of different things. You need to come up with some semblance of a logical number that makes sense to make sure the wheels on the bus still go around. Yeah, the thing that I've gained from sitting and talking with Josh just in the course of doing this show and the course of going in for my consultation and being a client is that there are just so many useful reasons to have someone like him, someone who's dealt with all these myriad issues, uh, has seen the potential mistakes, uh, can help you uh, maximize the tax benefits of your investment, bulletproof you against the unforeseen. I highly recommend you go in for that consultation. Set it up by making a call to their office, Aptus Wealth, located in Lewis Center, just off 750. The number is 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment online. Their web address is aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh joins me every Monday for Money Monday. This show airs Friday night at 7 and replays Saturday at noon. Josh, always great to see you. We'll see you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.